Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with your hosts, Joe Lavelle and Glenn Winkle. On today's episode number 102, we are talking with Jim Laval, an internationally recognized clinical pharmacist, author, board-certified clinical nutritionist, and educator with over 35 years of clinical experience spanning the super-athlete to individuals struggling with chronic health complaints. Jim says exceptional performance health isn't easy, but it's worth it. I asked Jim to help us better understand performance health solutions for the older athlete, and he did not disappoint. Jim shared many great insights into the root causes of health issues that impede our performance as well as how we feel every day. The good news is Jim also shared solutions we can all use right now. So listen in as Jim shares some of his legendary expertise in uncovering metabolic and gut health issues, keeping people from achieving their athletic performance potential, including which common medications are detrimental to gut health, how a leaky gut can result in joint pain, how slower recovery from exercise as we age, is not inevitable. All right, let's talk to Jim Laval, the legend of performance health. Jim Laval, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Great to be here. Excited. Jim, it's a pleasure to have you on tonight. Jim, okay, I'm sorry. We have to start by just declaring that we are not related, even though our names are very similar. You're Laval and I'm Lavelle. You're the famous one, so... We'll, we'll, we'll say you get first claim. My Lavelle comes from Ireland and yours comes from Italy, right? That's correct. Yeah, Calabria, Southern Italy. Fantastic. So anyway, um, even though the names are very similar, hopefully nobody's confused. We're not related. Thank you for joining us. I, I've been following you a lot lately. I, I've sort of been on a, a gut health kick, mostly because... That's like a weakness of mine, and um, and I and I've been kind of going down this path of thinking that of believing that gut health equals health, and so this is how I stumbled upon you, and I've been listening to a bunch of the things that you've been talking about, and I have to say you are a smart man, and so thank you for coming on. You've been doing this for a long time, and there's no possible way that we can even summarize all of what you know here in an hour. But we want to talk about what you think is the most important stuff to talk about for our audience, which is the older athlete. These are people who have, are, they already are trying to extend their health span and extend their time in life being able to be athletic. And they understand that health is kind of the foundation of being an athlete. But still, they don't know everything. They don't know exactly what to do. They might not even know how to tell what kind of problem I'm having or what's in my way. You know, why, why can't I lose this weight or why do I have this pain in my joints or, you know, more than I do of the things that uh, people encounter. So I'm interested in talking about that. Uh, and I also am interested in talking about this book that you've been working on for a while and you say now is finished and is going to be coming out soon, which I'm looking forward to seeing on athletic performance. So what do you think? You think we can uh, cover a lot of that here in an hour? We're going to tear it all up. And you know what? I'm pretty interested because I'm a 63-year-old aging athlete. And so I got a lot of personal interest in, you know, when I'm 83, I'm still <laughs> able to do what I'm doing right now. Fantastic. I, I've been saying actually about every three episodes that my goal is to do a bike tour of Italy when I'm 80. And so uh, it's a, kind of the same thing you're saying. My tour is to watch you while I'm sipping on a glass of wine. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a good goal as well. All right. So, Jim, we just so the audience understands how carefully they should um, listen to what you have to say, can you give us a little bit about your background, who you've worked with over the years, 
How do you know what you know? No, sure. So, you know, I mean, the biggest thing is, is, you know, I developed uh, probably the largest clinic doing personalized medicine in the, in the country uh, right. in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, Lavelle Metabolic Institute, where we were seeing three to 400 people a week. Um, obviously, I'm the co-chair for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. I chair the International Peptide Society. I've worked with Special Forces, Chicago Blackhawks, uh, now with Golden State Warriors, uh, Austin Football Club, lots of different football teams and players. You name it on the athletic side. I have worked on people and retired folks like uh, three or four years with the Pro Football Hall, uh, NFL Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton uh, on a program for performance health with them. Uh, so, I mean, I've been at it. I mean, I've written 20, going to be 27 books as of this year and, you know, three, 400 articles, four databases. I just, I can't get enough of, of you know, information that relates to perf- what I call performance health. I think uh-huh. everybody should be thinking about their health as a performance-based activity, whether you're eating something, exercising, resting, managing your stress. All of that plays a role if you're going to get the most out of what you do when you get into your activities. I love that performance health. That's fantastic. What's your book going to be called? Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Maximizing your performance health. There you go. Okay, good. So, that's yeah, a good title. It, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. There's so many ways that, that we can do this. But I mean, the way that I found you was the gut health path. And so right. I know that as a clinician, you can't be limited to why people are having issues or where their issues are coming from. But if we can focus on, you know, as much as possible, the gut health, that'll help with the topic that I'm looking for. And so I I would like to talk about this athletic performance and maybe biomarkers that give you clues. And I'm guessing that a big part of the answer is going to be inflammation, chronic inflammation, and dealing with that, figuring out where that's coming from. And then we can kind of get into this sort of practical and tactical stuff like, well, how can a person tell if they're having this kind of an issue? Right. And then, well, what can a person do if they're having this kind of an issue? Sure. Sounds good to me. Okay. I mean, you're on my favorite topic. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's just talk about that then, this uh, idea of health performance. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you know, it's not just how much you work out. You know, everybody's worried about, you know, like you said, you know, how many intervals did I do today? How much zone two did I do today? You know, am I overtrained? Am I undertrained? Am I just right trained? Did I get in, you know, the right amount of carbs or the right amount of fat or the right amount of protein? You know, the first process that you have to understand is that, you know, your body is working in in what's called a systems network, meaning that things are signaling each other. The gut is at the center of that. So, you know, you wanted to you know, focus on the gut. So I kind of want to talk about that gut in relationship to how the rest of the body is either sending information or receiving information from the okay. gut. And then how that influences these, the, the, the biggest issue, which you mentioned, chronic inflammation or other terms are metaflammation, metabolic inflammation. So metaflammation is the term in the literature as of 2008, and metaflammation leads to inflammation. And the way you want to think about that is the more your body keeps that that inflammation signaling on, the more you kind of uncouple the ability 
of your body's cells to function in a normal way. You don't take up glucose as well. You don't store ferritin, so you can't make EPO, and you're not going to have as good of endurance. Your mitochondria get damaged. Now I can't make energy. My brain starts to get gooey. I get that foggy headed, or as I call it when I ask people, do you feel like you're pushing a thought through jello by 2 o'clock, right? And so all of that kind of spins out. But if we think about the gut, first of all, a lot of people taking drugs that affect the gut. So whether you're on, we're chronically on antibiotics, you're uh, oral, for women, oral contraceptives. If you're on statins, if you're on metformin, if you're on acid blocking medications, it affects the flora of your gut. So why is that important? Well, your microbiome diversity happens to control and dictate how you're going to absorb nutrients, how you're going to metabolize hormones. Are you sending inflammatory signals through the enteric nervous system, which connects the gut to the brain, and triggering neuroinflammation? And why is that important? Well, I'll give you a story for athletes. Working with Corvette Race Team. So Corvette Race Team, they were wrecking their cars a lot, which probably isn't a good thing. When you're spending a lot of money on cars, the first thing we did, we walked in. So how much money you spend on these cars? Uh, you know, probably 50 million bucks. Oh, how much money you spend on your athletes? Uh, well, um, What do you well, mean? We feed them lunch. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so we tore into the athletes and, and kind of started correcting their chemistry. And I can go into that when we get into later about the specifics of what you might think about doing. But what we did was we gave them a capsule and we measured their core body temperature as they were racing Lo and behold, their core body temperature goes up, what's called brain coherence, your ability of your brain to tell your muscles and nervous system how and when to fire, that efficiency goes down. When you get hotter. When you get, basically you get hotter from your core temperature goes up, the brain says, hey, I'm going into turn three at 180 miles an hour. I better hit the brake and turn the wheel and your muscles and nervous system go, huh? Uh, Right? Yeah. So. What we did was we worked on their gut health, which there's the nervous system that connects the brain and the gut. Pretty well defined now. People are getting it that the, you know, the second brain's the gut, you know, finally. I was talking about this 20 years ago. But the, but the point being is, is that, so what did we do? We gave them something before they got in the car that reduced the neuroinflammation, calmed them down. We had changed their diet, improved the absorption of their amino acids. Lo and behold, they win Lama. <laughs> well, that worked. Kind of interesting, right? Yeah. So, so the point being is, you know, so drugs, and a lot of people have been on, if you're in my generation, man, I thought that pink stuff, that bubblegum flavored amoxicillin, <laughs> I thought that was part of my meal plan. I had so much of that. Right. Oh, yeah. and I, you know, I mean, I was just one of those sick kids that was on it all the time. Oh, yeah. So if you're on a lot of drugs, you throw off the gut microbiome. If you're under a lot of stress. So people think stress is, oh, I'm not anxious. Well, are you having trouble sleeping? Do you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about work? Do you have trouble getting to sleep? Do you feel overcommitted? Do you notice yourself wanting to lick the last crumbs of salt out of the potato chip bag? Yeah. I mean, those are all signs that stress hormones are affecting you. But when your cortisol level goes up, it actually sends a signal to the lining of the intestine known as the epithelial cells 
and it breaks the little junctions that keep them really tight so that you don't get things going through those lines. Hmm. They start to loosen up basically. Hmm. And now all of a sudden you start reacting to certain foods. You start getting sensitive to maybe high lectin foods, could be gluten, could be dairy, could be almonds for that matter, right? It doesn't have to be the, oh my God, it's gluten and dairy, the two evils of the universe. Yeah. It could be, you know, it could be other things. Could be stuff you just eat a lot of. Could be stuff you just eat a lot of that's completely healthy. You're right on on that. And so the big thing is then is you start to trigger systemic inflammation. Mm-hmm. So now, hey man, my shoulder hurts. Well, it can't be something I ate, right? <laughs> but it, well, it is something you ate. You know, or your hip. I cannot tell you how many people tell me, oh, yeah, they think I need a hip replacement. You know, straighten out their gut, work on the food issues, pick, you know, get the high allergen foods out of the diet, change up your diet, maybe even test for food sensitivities. And lo and behold, oh, my God, I don't need a hip replacement now. Oh, yeah, I just dropped that 30 pounds I didn't think I could drop ever. Hmm. And so the gut side, like stress is so big related to it. Hmm. The type of food you eat. A lot of people are eating like paleo, or not paleo, more like ketogenic diets where it's high fat and very low carb and therefore no fiber. Uh, and when you're not getting much fiber, you can't feed the microbiome and you create more circulating endotoxin. Hmm. And endotoxin binds to your cells and triggers inflammatory signals. Huh. So it's it's really important to understand that the gut is not just the food you eat. It's stress, sleep, food selection, drug history, how much you train. I don't know if you've looked at a lot of this, Joe, but there are some killer papers coming out on how much you train affects your microbiome diversity, triggers more gut permeability, and triggers more inflammatory chemistry. That's why a lot of these professional athletes that are training three and four hours a day sometimes can't get repaired or have GI complaints because there's that that issue of the, I'm just going to tell you, hard, fast rule. The harder and longer you train, the more you have to work on your gut. Wow. That's simple. Okay. Well, gosh, that is, that's sort of bad news, but uh, okay, it is what it is. <laughs> I um, think it's great guess, news, um, Joe. This is great news. I, I, yeah. I, it's just in the, it's good news, yeah. right? Because what you eat determines so much about how you, how you do, which has always been true. Yeah. <laughs> well, true enough. And, and it also, again, as we try to segment this conversation to talk about the older athlete, when I was young, my gut was really strong. And maybe that's just the nature of being young. Everything works really well. I could eat anything and I did and I had no problems. And I was actually on antibiotics for like 15 years for, uh, you know, acne. And I had right. never any issues that came from that. But um, now my body doesn't work as well. Well, that, that's actually quite easy for me to understand that maybe my muscles aren't as good as they were or my joints aren't as good as they were. And so if I understand what I need to do to keep my gut healthy, that's, that's something that's good for me to keep in my pocket. But the problem is, well, what if I need to get back there before I can use those tips? How do I go back from the, where I've, my gut has declined in its function? I've been eliminating things over time because, oh, beans give me a problem or, uh, oh, yeah, I do, uh, you know, non-gluten only now because, you know, I heard that was bad and I did feel better at first when I stopped doing that. And so, you know, I'm down to eating like two things 
And you know, now, you know, or, or I did keto, which I actually did for a while, and my gut felt great for a while, but, you know, it doesn't last. Well, how do people get out of this sort of downward spiral of my gut is bad and I'm doing things that seem to make it feel better, but it doesn't last. And then I need to have a eat the rainbow and have good food for my gut micro. How do I get there? Because I'm, I'm going to feel bad. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Your experience is like, I, I just got to tell you, I mean, I have so many people that have come in over my you know, life and, you know, you, you hear, I mean, especially now in this new world of, um, you know, podcasts and social media and, you know, there's all kinds of opinions. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to give you an opinion based on seeing a hundred thousand lives over 40 years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and teaching like at lifetime fitness, we did 243,000 people at lifetime fitness wow. with a 93% approval rating. Wow. So I'm only, I'm going to try to talk to you from a limited experience. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I teach a bunch of docs every year, how they, how they need to work on guts and what they need to think about. So you're, you're asking the right question to the right guy. I think it starts with one big thing. First of all, most people eat too much too often. They eat too late. They, they don't manage their stress, and then they don't get enough sleep. Right. If you don't manage your stress and you don't get enough sleep, it's going to be really hard for you to really manage your gut. There's no pill I can take. <laughs> well, there's some pills you can take that will countermeasure it some. I'll, okay. you know, I will get to the supplement side that will help things. Okay, good. But in okay. the end, you've got to make some decisions. All right. And I think what I have seen work over all the years is, yes, people need to eat more plants. Does that mean I have to be plant-based? I don't think you got to be plant-based. I think you have to start eating some plants, though. The, 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 the barbecue sauce on your chicken wings doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? You got yes. to start eating some real plants. Okay. Um, and sometimes people, guts are so broke down, they can't eat them raw. Mm. So cook them. Just eat them cooked. They probably won't bother your belly. And once in a while, people will be sensitive to like the nightshade vegetables. So, you know, maybe they take out tomatoes, potatoes, and eggplant, and, you know, they, they work on the nightshade thing. But in general, if I can get people to focus on eating, you know, cleaner sources of protein, right? So fish, chicken, turkey, beef, you know, pork, bison, I, I don't care. You know, you can argue with me on any one of them, and I'll probably have a counter argument. But in the end, you know, clean, meaning grass-fed, wild-caught, free-range. Try to get the cleanest sources you can. Mm -hmm. That's one important piece to the puzzle. Now, the other important piece, obviously, you know, I always tell people we eat three vegetables to every fruit. Get more vegetables in, get less fruit in. You don't need to eat a bunch of fruit because mm -hmm. for the most part, I see a lot of people with higher blood sugars because they are stressed out. They end up over, you know, they don't get enough sleep. So that mm -hmm. tends to get your blood sugars up. And then in addition to that, you know, they got to drink a pre-workout and an intra-workout and a post-workout drink. And they're, you know, they're, they're like overly nutritioned over getting through their one-hour workout. Mm -hmm. um, and so really managing, look at how much you're eating and, and really try to get to that point of efficiency on a how many calories b what kind of fiber do i need to get in because i can tell you right now most people don't get 40 grams of fiber in a day and that's where it all starts with your gut yeah 
Nobody gets, I mean, look, you have to eat 20 servings of vegetables and fruit a day to get 40 grams of fiber. Yeah. You're right. That's a lot. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like I can't. But people can take supplements, right? I mean, they can take fiber supplements. I love, I I, I like people drinking a, a, a nice smoothie in the morning where they can put in fiber. I love, I love extra fiber. I think it's awesome. I think proteins that are pre-digested. So, you know, when you get the protein powders and they're peptides and they're pre-digested and, you know, those are great. More and more people are sensitive to things like pea and rice and whey. So, you know, hey, I bloat when I drink those. All right, well, then don't drink those. Yeah. You know, don't drink things that make you bloated. Don't eat things that make you bloat or feel uncomfortable. You, know, you should be trying to have a good bowel movement. And then in addition to that, that's kind of helpful. And yeah. then in addition, you know, it it's so looking for protein powders like, hey, you know, collagen, watermelon seed, pumpkin seed, um, hemp. Is now there's some good sources of hemp. Um, in addition to, you know, if you want to do beef protein, fine. If you want to, if you're not sensitive to eggs, but I got to tell you, probably three out of 10 people that we test are sensitive to eggs nowadays. Hmm. I mean, they just have a sensitivity to them and, and, and uh, it's going to lead to those reactions that make you feel inflamed. So eating right, managing your stress is big. If you don't think you're stressed out, you can measure your cortisol levels. But, you know, the good things I'm feeling stressed is, do you feel overcommitted? Do you have trouble sleeping? You know, do you crave carbs? Do you eat foods past being full in order to make your head feel better? Like, oh, my God, just one more bite. If I can just rub that last piece of pasta (laughs) on my forehead. Right? That stuff. Yeah. If, If you're feeling those, getting dizzy on standing, those are signs that your body's physiologic response to stress is starting to become compromised. And so you, you got to manage that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you ought to get into a little bit about this um, flattening of the cortisol curve. I've heard you talk about that before. And then maybe how that leads to the blood sugar issues that uh, people have that I think are, you know, maybe underlying this whole uh, metabolic illness that I think is pretty rampant and and even in people who are exercising a lot? Well, I, I think people who are exercising a lot are really prone to flattening their cortisol curve. So when mm. you say flattening your cortisol curve, your, your cortisol is supposed to go up in the morning, go down at noon, go down again at five and go to nothing at bedtime. That's a proper cortisol curve. High, then drop, drop, drop. What happens is people get under sustained stress and they're really, they think they're fighting a white tiger all day long, right? Oh my God, I got so many emails to answer. I didn't like what that person said. I got this project due. I'm in traffic, whatever it is. You know, lights are on till 10 o'clock at night. So our brain is thinking it's daylight all day long. Whatever it is, when you start to flatten your cortisol curve where your body's making too much cortisol during the course of the day, that starts to do a lot. One, if you're a man, it'll start to lower your testosterone. So stress hormones reduce gonadotropin-releasing hormone. Mm. And now your testosterone goes down. So you know what do we do? Oh, test is low. I'll go in and get some pellets put in my tail. Mm-hmm. Or I'll go get a shot of test. You know, and, and then they feel better for a few months. Once again, it's that thing that you just said, Joe, when you're talking about, hey, I did this. I felt better for a while, you know, because they're not looking at, you know, how do we fix the source? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not against hormone replacement therapy, by the way. If it's low and you're hypogonadal, you got, you know, you got to consider it. 
But the bottom line is, if your stress hormones are high and that's what's inhibiting it, you got to correct that because the other thing that's going on is, is your is cortisol causes you to have more glucose in your bloodstream mm. and you end up making more insulin too. Mm. And when your glucose is higher in your bloodstream and you make more insulin, A, you store more fat. It's a great, great mechanism. Cortisol high, insulin high, glucose high, store fat. Mm. So you store more fat. You do more visceral fat. That fat creates more inflammatory compounds called adipokines that get released into the bloodstream. Mm. When you make more insulin, you make more adrenaline and noradrenaline. So what happens? Your capillaries get smaller mm. because your capillaries restrict. And now I can't get blood perfusion into my muscles and tissues to really get out the lactic acid. So what do you hear? I don't recover as quickly as I used to. Mm-hmm. I do hear that. Right? I'm sore. I'm sore than I used to be. Yeah. Um, and so, so the point being is when that cortisol, glucose, insulin relationships occurring because you flattened your cortisol curve, you're actually at 333% increased risk of cardiometabolic diseases, so heart disease, diabetes, uh, neurologic disorders, and neurodegenerative diseases. So people... You know, I always try to get people to understand that it's not about how hard you train. It's about how smart you train. Hmm. Because training smart is understanding when you need, you look at your heart rate variability or you look at your uh, resting heart rate and you see that it's up after a very hard day of training and your willingness to be smart and say, I need a lighter day of training Hmm. instead of, I'm going to keep getting after it because I like to train hard. I'm, I'm going to go. I know I was one of those people. You know, I trained at a very high level. I, you know, qualified for U.S. Nationals in bodybuilding. I was a Division I athlete scholarship signee. I, I love training hard. Yeah. And then, like, you know, the Italian bricklayer I am, I keep hitting my head on the wall until I understand, oh, maybe it'd be better if I went – in another direction here and, and, and learn more about how do you start to train for efficiency in true performance health. Yeah. If you're training for an event, how do I peak for it? 10% of Olympians that are trying to get to the Olympic Games, they don't make it because they get sick hmm. because they've overtrained and haven't been, haven't been really guided the way they needed to in order to make it to, you know, to, the, you know, to their goal. Think of it. If, if you were doing a four-year degree and at the graduation, somebody said, ah, we're not giving you the degree, you'd be pretty upset. <laughs> yeah, a little you bit. Know? So anyway, I, I think the flattening of the cortisol curve affects your immune system. So now you start becoming more, um, your gut gets leakier and more permeable. So you yeah. start to create more antigen presenting cell activity. You, you know, you start presenting things to, your immune system to say, Hey, start getting reactive to this. Hey, this, this broccoli's evil, man. Don't, you know, don't be getting any more of that in there. All right. Right. So that part is really important to understand. You start to your T killer cells and your natural killer cells, which are supposed to go out there and fight a cold or flu. They get a lot less active when you get in this situation. And it makes sense, right? Look at endurance athletes after an event. They like get sick to get up a respiratory infections. Sure. And so that's the, you no, know, to me, when you flatten your cortisol curve, growth hormone goes down, sex hormones go down, 
repair capacity goes down, insulin resistance increases. And when your insulin resistance increases, if you want to really talk about you know, what's happening, as you become more and more insulin resistant and you can't get glucose into your cell efficiently, you switch to aerobic glycolysis. So what's that mean? It means you're making two packets of energy every time you bring in glucose instead of making 30 plus packets of energy every time you bring in a packet of glucose. Mm. So yeah, now all of a sudden it's like, why can't I get up that hill anymore like I used to on my bike? My blood lactate is shooting through the roof. Yeah, 100%. All right, so there's obvious things that people have been doing for a long time and more and more, I would say, lately that there's spot solutions that you can do to try to deal with symptoms, but they're not permanent. They tend to not work well forever. And so you've got to do more and more until it doesn't work anymore and you've got to do something else. And so the answer is on these kinds of issues that uh, you've been talking about is to go back to the source. What is causing it? And perhaps maybe one of the causes is stress. But if we can get back to the gut, we're talking about how the stress is negatively influencing the gut. Right. Perhaps the gut is negatively influencing your stress level as well. And so if we can help with the stress, I mean, people should do things that they need to do in order to deal with their stress. I mean, if they're, they, they wake up at three in the morning, every single morning, and their cortisol is through the roof, and they're like, well, I'm totally wide awake, and there's no way I'm going back to sleep. But if they just lay there for an hour, they're out. Okay, well, there's something going on with your cortisol and your stress level, and you got to deal with that. But as far as your gut is concerned, these things of how do we deal with, how do we solve these problems of issues with my gut? Because I ate food that had pesticides on it, you know, for a long period of time. I've had a lot of stress. And so that's given me a leaky gut, which has now made my immune system kind of be responsive to certain foods that I guess maybe are prone to that kind of thing, or maybe I add a lot of it. And so my body kept finding it in my bloodstream and having to react to it. You talk about medications that, I, that people are on and maybe they can't get off of them at least run away because they're dealing with symptoms that are really bad. And so they, they need to at least use them as a bridge to getting their health better so that they don't right. need them anymore or need less. Maybe they drink or maybe they smoked or antibiotics that you mentioned. You know, what do you recommend to people? How, how do they solve this? How do they get their gut back working again? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, I, I like probiotics. I really like the, the, you know, taking a solid probiotic. I'm not going to tell you, oh, there's only one probiotic. And by the way, like testing your poop to get a customized probiotic, fantastic marketing. Not really going to get the results that you think you're going to get. I mean, you can, there's some, you know, you, you, you need to find, you know, beneficial flora, typically human strain, verified till the date of expiration on the bottle. They had studies showing that it adheres to the lining of the gut and, and makes a change. Most importantly, that the probiotics that are within the capsule, because now it's like, we've got a powder with a gabillion of 48 strains of probiotics and prebiotics and postbiotics. You know, that, you know, that, but the issue is, is that these things are live and they cannibalize each other. They eat each other. So do you have a product that has all those things in there and you can show that they're available at the at the expiration date so you have something reliable mm -hmm. so i think a a probiotic is important b herbs that can really help that you can get on your own i think you know cat's claw is one of the standby stellar herbs for the gut 
to reduce inflammation, kind of knock down some of the unfriendly bugs that you may be growing in there. Um, And, you know, 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams three times a day of that is usually pretty good. I have used it for 30 years. I don't have anybody have bad effects from using cat's claw. Fantastic. I think berberine is a good botanical because it helps with blood sugar. It helps with getting rid of some bad bugs, and it helps to get those those epithelial cells, the permeability issues of the gut back together again, aligned, right? So the gut lining starts to get tighter again. So I think that's really, you know, a good botanical that can help. You know, if you're really bloating and, you know, I don't like people staying on digestive enzymes. I think if you've really compromised your, your digestive enzymes by either bad eating or just not chewing your food, you know, like two chews, gulp, two chews, gulp. Have to use water Uh-oh. to get the thing down your throat. Um, you know, I mean that 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 is really compromising your ability to digest. So one of the most simple things to correct your gut is chew your food thoroughly. Wow, which people don't do because you need salivary amylase to help start breaking down that food. You know, I you know I never forget it, watching a kid in a air, airport at seven in the morning folding a piece of pizza in half, taking a bite a half of that monster piece of pizza. It's like I saw the point of the pizza go down his throat, right? <laughs> and then it got kind of stuck and he had a Pepsi at 7 a.m. drinking it to, yeah, I'm going to force that thing down. I'm going to get that point of that pizza out of my throat. Wow. So chewing your food, super important. Digestive enzymes can be very helpful. Uh, in the beginning, I think as people repair their gut, maybe as you get older, if you get into my age group in the 60s, sometimes people lose their digestive ability. So maybe a digestive enzyme is needed. Uh, and if you're gassy, if you belch a lot, if you fart a lot, you know, you, you know you, that could be just simple as, hey, your digestive enzymes are off and you're not chewing your food. Now, and then there's the things that I think athletes need. So if you're training regularly, you need to take glutamine. Okay. You know, you use up glutamine, and glutamine is an, basically a conditionally essential amino acid for the lining of your intestine. Uh-huh. So, you know, the more you train, the more you break down the gut, the more you got to rebuild the gut, glutamine becomes pretty important. So, five to 10 grams of glutamine, you know, a couple times a day isn't going to hurt you. If you're drinking a protein drink, you're going to probably get five grams in, and then maybe you throw some more in at the end of the day, you know, somewhere. But, that's really important. So if you start off on what I call a modified low-carb, low-allergen, anti-inflammatory diet, right? Yeah. Modified low-carb, not low-carb, not, ket- not ketogenic, but modified low-carb, low-allergen. What are the big allergens? Dairy, corn, soy, gluten, right? Uh, shellfish, yeah. right? Those are some of the biggies, yeah. right? And today... We're getting more people that are having issues with things like pea protein. When they take pea protein, they bloat. Well, why? When you how do you eat peas? Like they're these. Whenever you eat peas, do you ever really get some of the green casings out of your teeth after you eat pea? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like peas. You got to chew them up a bunch. But what? And it's a high lectin food, so it's a high allergen food. So what do we do? Uh-huh. We dry them. We grind them up. We micronize it. So that high lectin food can coat the whole lining of your gut when you drink it. And now if your gut's compromised, you're just presenting about 50 times more surface area of pea protein than what you normally would. 
So I stay away from kind of the higher allergen plant proteins in people for that reason. And is this for like ever or while you're having a problem yeah. that you're working through? Yeah, while you're having a problem, while you're working through it and you're cleaning up your gut, get off the high allergen foods, uh. right? Do that. And then if you've cleaned it up, hey, my gut's feeling good. I'm not bloated. I'm not gassy. I'm not belching. I don't have reflux. I'm not having to chew on Nexium and Tums, right? I got all that straightened up. Now you can add it back in and go, hey, how do I feel when I do it? And then most importantly, and you said it, Joe, don't eat the same foods over and over again. Like I have three or four kinds of protein in my in my drawer. I mean, I, it's like, yeah, I got hemp, I got cachava, you know, I got watermelon seed, pumpkin seed, I got collagen. I'm going to throw these things in, vary it up. I'm not going to just use almond milk every day. I'm going to get some banana milk. I'm going to get some pistachio. I'm going to get some coconut milk, right? You know, you're going you're gonna to vary these things. Fantastic. Uh, because that variety, yes, it helps on many levels. It helps with nutrient status, eating different vegetables, right? Dif- you, know, eat, you know, get different nutrients in. But it limits your exposure risk. That's awesome. I have heard that diversity is important, but for now, more reasons than I knew. So that's great. Thanks very much for that. Okay. Looking at the clock here, I wanted to get into a little bit about how do people know that this is them, right? I mean, you don't have to have bloating and gas and diarrhea or constipation to have gut problems. So, you know, what other things show up maybe on your blood panel or things like that? that probably mean you could do better in what you're eating and how you're treating your gut. And before we dive into that, I I did want to mention like ultra processed foods maybe is another thing to watch out for because it doesn't have the what you want in it and does have other chemicals in it that maybe you don't want, you know, preservatives, which are, what does that do? Kills bacteria and, and things like that. So the people who are maybe not doing what's right in their gut, but they're thinking, oh, but it's not bothering me. Well, maybe it is. How would they know? Yeah, so I mean, there's some simple things. I mean, one of the biggest markers, a simple one that's on every blood test is mean platelet volume, MPV. Mean platelet volume tells you the size or volume of that platelet. The bigger it gets, the more chronic metabolic inflammation is taking place. So if that MPV Uh is out of bounds, that's a good sign that you've got inflammatory chemistry. If your C-reactive protein is elevated, HSCRP. So even if it's in the normal range, you're saying if it's going up, you've got an increasing problem. Yeah. So a lot of times, like I wrote a book called Your Blood Never Lies, actually second edition coming out here shortly as soon as I finish the edits on it, uh, which is coming up. Uh, that, but, that, right. but there's a lot of things that, that, you know, for example, a 95 blood sugar means you have a 60% chance of being a diabetic in the next 10 years. Wow. And that's a normal blood sugar. So you have to start to look sure. at numbers in trends. So an MPV in the fourth quartile, I mean, it's at the high, high end of normal, showing you, hey, wait a second, maybe I need to start thinking about what I should be doing about that. You know, and then there's yeah. subsets of white blood cells called monocytes, eosinophils, and basophils, MEBs. Mm-hmm. And these are subsets that start to get reactive in response to inflammation signaling, eosinophils and allergies, monocytes will go up with sensitivities and the gut getting reactive. And so as they're moving up, uh, I always tell people, add up your MEBs. If it's greater than nine, you probably need to work on your gut. Mm. A lot of people have them at like 13 and 14. 
basophils are important because if they get above one, it starts to show you're making more uh, of the cytokine interleukin-6, which you need interleukin-6 when you train. That signals repair. You just don't want it hanging around too long. And that's the problem is that, see, what people do is they get caught in the inability to hit the reset button from inflammation repair back to homeostasis where your body's functioning. And now you train again, trigger inflammation as a way to repair from the training. And then you then create homeostasis again so that your body isn't always throwing out inflammatory compounds. So MEBs, MPV, C-reactive protein, look at your glucose and insulin. If your insulin for me is above five, certainly above 10, you're probably starting to signal some things like the you know excessive adrenaline. Hmm. Look at your morning cortisol. So you could do a four-point salivary or urinary cortisol or an awakening response, but even your morning cortisol in a blood test before 9 a.m. can tell you a lot about if your cortisol is really high, like, like 22 is the high range. If you're 19 or 20 in the morning, um, you're probably sending some signals to your gut that you're getting permeable. Now, what would you feel? Uh, achiness, right? We talked about joint and muscle aches can occur when your gut is throwing out these inflammatory compounds. Mood changes. You have mood disorders. You have, you have depression, anxiety. Uh, your lipids can be off. You know, literally, you could have, you know, oh, I got hereditary LDL cholesterol issues. I love it when people tell me things like I've got adult ADHD. It's like, well, how did you get through school? Without a problem. You don't have adult ADHD if you were perfectly fine, but your brain is foggy because the microbiome, they found this in COVID long haulers. These are published papers that the the kind of brain fatigue and fogginess was actually due to the change in the microbiome due to COVID infection, which then signaled the enteric nervous system to trigger neuroinflammation. And that's why there's all these symptoms of lingering cognitive function. And, and I'm not making any commentary on COVID. It's just what they published about what happens when people got an infection in it. Sure. And so the, so the point being is, you know, that, that you really need to pay attention to, am I thinking clearly? Am I pushing a thought through Jello? Do I have aches? Am I craving carbs and sweets? You know, do I, do I salivate when I hear about a chocolate-covered pretzel with bacon bits and caramel and extra sea salt? <laughs> See? I just got a visceral response out of you guys. <laughs> yeah, I started salivating. Exactly. It's like, give me that. <laughs> so, those are the signs that the gut-immune-brain connection, gut-immune-brain, and the adrenal-thyroid-pancreas connection are interfacing and creating disordered signals that are leading to these symptoms. Now, that was the whole purpose of my metabolic code book and why I wrote all the algorithms for uh, metabolic code was to take networks and put about 40,000 decisions in them and go, okay, what happens when you answer these questions and you have these labs and what is the signaling is taking place and then how do we score it? Fantastic. That was the whole genesis of that because, you know, we just don't measure how far you're away from being well. In general, we just tell you when you're sick. Yeah, that's what the doctor says. It's like, oh, your blood test came back fine. You know, everything's normal. I go, well, this these two say hi. And he's like, ah, they're close. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, that's not very helpful to me. I mean, I'm not 
as good as I was. Well, you know, help me understand, doctor. What can I do? Well, I guess maybe that's not what a medical doctor does, but it's good to know that there are people like you who can help with that sort of thing. I've heard you say in other things that I've listened to, and you didn't mention it again just now. So let me ask you about bone loss is a big thing. Oof. I think maybe it's it's bigger for women anyway. I've been hearing about it for women longer, but I think it's a thing for men too. How is bone loss related to this topic? Bone loss is a huge issue. Sarcopenia and osteopenia, right? The over age 55 population, muscle is the currency of aging. The more muscle you hold on to, the better off you're going to be as you age for stability. And then with bone, you know, when you get under stress or when your nutrient status is compromised and you're not absorbing nutrients the way you should, or you're taking a proton pump inhibitor because you can't put down the chicken wings and you get heartburn, then you block your vitamin D and calcium and magnesium absorption and can lose bone. So we have a bunch of men now with low testosterone due to high stress in their 40s and 50s, eating on pepsids and nexiums, and now they're coming up with bone loss because the drug is causing them to have less absorption and the low testosterone is causing them to hold on to their bone less. And so it becomes more critical because when you lose bone, what happens is, is it, it basically is directly correlated to coronary artery calcification. Still our number one killer. So you lose bone, you gain plaque. It's straightforward. I mean, you know, that's the thing is we always say a lot of flowery things. You know, you know, I, I could be very specific. Oh, you realize that you make foam cells and streak cells and then your myeloperoxidase gets upregulated. Look, it's real simple. Lose bone, gain plaque. So what? Yeah. So get my bone density measured. Let me see what's, what it is. And then get my vitamin D level measured. Where's my calcium at? And for, remember, don't ever take calcium without magnesium because that actually stiffens your arteries when you don't do that. And that, that's well established that it also alters the pH and then you create more lactic acid once again, like you're talking about your lactate soaring. You know, when you don't have adequate magnesium, your lactate's going to soar like a champ. Oh, boy. All right. And then the other thing was iron. You did mention it early in our chat here, but it was kind of odd to me and I'm not even sure I fully understand it, but you had talked about how iron could be fine, but your ferritin is off and it's then affecting your ability to make red blood cells. Well, that is going to be a big impact on my ability to perform as an athlete. Yeah. So it turns out that under metaflammation or metabolic inflammation, your liver makes more of this compound called hepcidin. And hepcidin turns down the production of ferroportin. So you don't convert your iron to its stored form ferritin and ferritin is needed for, in, in, with the kidneys and signaling erythropoietin so that you're making nice red blood cells that can carry oxygen. Mm. So you'll see people with normal irons and low ferritins. That's a sign mm. typically of metaflammation. And if you're going to, or if you have both, say you're not, you're not eating red meat. You heard that, you know, oh my God, I can't eat red meat ever again. I'm going to eat a plant-based diet and feel tired in eight months. Oh, wait, did I say that? Um, <laughs> but I did. So the point is, is I got to take iron. I'm going to eat plant-based because I feel so much better, but I got to get iron. You should take your iron every other day. 
because mm-hmm. when you take iron every day, you actually start to create an increase in epstein again. So you take it every other day so that you absorb the iron, you, it, it gets the ferritin, but you also want to look for where's the inflammation. You mentioned earlier, pesticides, toxic metals, environmental burden. Am I getting exposed to things? Is my house a water-damaged building? Mold issues, yeah. My immune system's getting triggered, right? There's environmental burden. Too much to add all that into this conversation, but it's, you know, it's all a part of that puzzle of metabolic inflammation. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you about peptides. I really don't even know what that is. You know, I, I guess I, insulin is a peptide, but, but peptides I'm starting to hear more and more about as a help for people like me. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, peptides are basically chains of amino acids that are below 42 amino acids long. That's the official designation of it. And they're basically compounds that your body should make. But under duress or under aging, you don't make them so much anymore. Uh And so what happens is you uh, start to lose homeostasis. Like if I'm not making a compound called BPC-157, which is in your gastric tissues, that then is a problem with repair. So peptides are signaling compounds. All right, that your body makes that works across all different systems of your body, whether it's with um, signaling to make sex hormones, to signaling to regulate your immune system, to helping your muscle to be more anabolic, to helping to secrete your own growth hormone, to repairing your gut lining. Peptides are the emerging world of what's going on, semaglutide. Ozembic is a peptide. Manjaro oh. is a peptide. Uh, Zidaxin, which is for uh, hepatitis, is a peptide. So it's the emerging world of drug therapy, but it's interesting because you have less side effects because your body's familiar with the signal. So it's really pretty good. And some of these things, I understand you can just get them over the counter maybe because they're, you know, as long as you're promising to not take them yourself. Uh, but uh, should people play with this stuff or, or is this really kind of like medication and they should get really good advice? Well, the problem with a lot of the stuff that's over the counter is that it is not for human use. So if you're going online okay. and you're buying peptides, it's not for human or animal use, <clears throat> for laboratory use only. So if you got a lab set up at your house and you want to buy those kind of things and you want to experiment, then it's one thing. But that there's different standards to those things so that it becomes an issue, uh, I think, on product quality and consistency. There's, there's adulteration issues. There's concentration issues. So if you're going to use peptides, probably best that you do them with a, some kind of, you know, a healthcare provider that knows what they're doing with them. I mean, I train docs. We have a International Peptide Society. I, I chair that. I just wrote a book, you know, Professional's Guide to Peptide Therapy. It's on Amazon. Hmm. Um, and, and and so I think it's it's actually better if peptides are something that you have some guidance on. Maybe BPC-157, you can get that over the counter pretty reasonably. And it's a safe, you know, orally compound. But anything that you inject, anything that you're going to inject in your body, Uh, right it should be for human use yeah 
Just saying. It's a weird thing I have. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't want to experiment on myself. <laughs> I, I'm not the lab rat. Right, right. But I mean, I think that peptides are a great way to enhance repair. I mean, I've got some serious stories on reducing repair time with using peptides. Can't use them in professional athletes. They, you know, they're banned for the most part. Oh, I see. Professional athletes. But for the amateur athlete who has to get back, they got an ankle sprain, they got a hip injury, they got a shoulder. Hey, there's there's plenty of docs and orthos that are recommending them now in terms as a part of their plan uh, for healing someone and getting them over their surgeries or return to their activity and probably 50% of the time. Hmm. Okay. Looking at the clock, we are really running short. But something that I had meant to ask you about, and so it's a little out of sequence here, but talk to us a little bit about estrogen. We're talking again, we're talking about the older athlete here. And so how does estrogen too much estrogen end up being a problem for men and maybe women? Yeah, well, I mean, anytime you're estrogen. So first of all, estradiol, there's different estrogens. So there's estradiol, estrone, estriol. So estradiol, um, when women lose their estradiol, they make more pro-inflammatory glycans in their bodies. So therefore, women at menopause start to gain weight and they start to have the same ravages of heart disease that men do. So some estradiol in a woman is important. Some estradiol when a man is important, likewise. Um, a lot of people doing hormone replacement therapy are giving things that get the estrogen down to nothing, and that increases their thromboembolic risk. They can throw a clot. So I, I, a little bit of estrogen is good. When you get estrogen dominant, you're going to store fat, and you're going to trigger more pro-inflammatory chemistry in your body. Just bottom line for men and women both. And if men are converting their testosterone to estrogen and to dihydrotestosterone when they're taking it, so it's getting converted, well, you got to A, get more fiber. B, you probably need some you know, more zinc. Uh, zinc helps to keep that pathway moving. Uh, and, and then I think after that, you're in pretty good, you know, you're in pretty good shape in terms of estrogen. Estradiol is good. Keep it in range. For women, you know, bioidentical replacement is good because it reduces their pro-inflammatory chemistry. That was in big studies out of Europe uh, on measuring glycans, which are a component of every cell in your body. Uh, and then, and then, of course, you just have to remember a diet that's high in sat fat, high in sugar, and 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 low in fiber mm-hmm. is going to be a great way to throw off estrogen metabolism. Gotcha. Is DIM, uh, the supplement DIM, D-I-M, is that uh, a help in this way? I've heard that it was in the past. Yeah, I love DIM. methane's great. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's an extract from broccoli and it helps to metabolize uh-huh. estrogen, especially, you know, down basically the better pathways. It kind of avoids, uh, so when, when estrogen goes into your body, it metabolizes. So it metabolizes uh, into three paths mainly. So the, the two, uh, it's called a two alpha, the four hydroxy, uh, or 2-hydroxy pathway. Two, the 2-OH pathway is the good one. If you're going down 4 or 16, not so good. Promotes inflammation. Even the 4-OH has been you know, associated with breast cancer development, um, probably prostate cancer as well. So yeah, taking methane, eating cruciferous vegetables, getting fiber, really good. If you're going to take them as a man, 300 milligrams a day. As a woman, mm-hmm. typically start at 150 and make sure it doesn't make you have hot flashes if it's not, then you can go up. Got it. Great. Okay. So that was the end of my questions. And I see that we're out of time. So I wanted to end by giving you a chance to wrap up. What wasn't I smart enough to ask you about that you think is important to this audience of older athletes? 
And let's start with this idea of people should feel like this declining health and this declining athletic performance is not inevitable. They have a yeah, right. I totally agree. I've heard you say they have a right to feel good. Start with that and then whatever else you want to say. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my war cry is, you know, people deserve vitality at every stage in life. I mean, every stage. That, you know, you should be here 80, you feel vital, right? And I think, one, people don't hydrate enough. And when they hydrate, they only use water. So typically their electrolyte balance is off. And that's important. Hydration, incredibly important. Really start to take a look and go, well, how do I create a lifestyle that creates health? Not just I'm training hard, so that means I can eat whatever I want which might've been true when you were 20, yeah. but it, but you should be wanting to make decisions about eating things that are in alignment with your passion for training. Your sleep pattern should be aligned with your passion for the way you eat and train. Mm. How you manage your stress should be aligned. It's really creating a consistency of, you know, what am I doing? How am I doing it? Because everybody wants the magic pill. Oh my God, I'm taking spermidine now. Oh, my God, about... Hey, I bet you feel 20 years younger since the spermidine. Well, I really haven't felt anything different, but you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where nobody wants to put the work in and think there's a magic pill. Same thing with peptides. Look, peptides do really cool things on people. There's no doubt about it, but you still got to do the work. And I always say the other slogan yeah. I have is it's work, but it's worth it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think feeling good is the key. So I love that. All over it, right? And uh, that's just what that daily commitment, commitment to excellence, commitment to performance health, a commitment to understanding your chemistry. Take as much time to look at your next lab test as you do picking out your next refrigerator. <laughs> Good idea. Fantastic, Jim. Thank you very much. How can people find you online, find your books, find, you know, even these um, services you were talking about, this uh, metabolic translation of your blood and and maybe some survey questions into what should you do? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, jimlaval.com is an easy way to at least catch up with me. People can send info if they're interested in like getting a workup through one of the two clinics. Metaboliccode.com is the decision-based, cloud-based informatic system that we developed that's going into some pretty big partners, actually. It's actually the subject of 14 weeks at the master's program at the at uh, George Washington uh, School of Medicine and Health Sciences for Integrative Medicine, nice. and we feel pretty strongly about the you know the work we've put in on that. And then look, apparently, because I don't look at this stuff, but apparently, if you search my name, there's a bunch of stuff that I either say, do, or write on the internet. I I, <laughs> I looked at myself for the first time about two months ago. I was like, oh my god, how did this get here? And I was like, oh, I guess it's, you know. <laughs> so, I, so I think there's a lot of stuff up online too. But uh, books are easy. Ebooks are easy. You can get those. Just like I said, go to jimlavelle.com and that'll that'll guide you. Fantastic, Jim. Thank you very much. This has been magnificent. And that's awesome material. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was a bunch of fun. Bunch of fun. Awesome. All right, you guys have a great one. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you, bye. Right. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Jim Laval. Jim is the real deal. Check out the show notes for more information about Jim's books and personalized solutions for metabolic and gut issues that may be interfering with your athletic performance.